This is a fourth-hand production. But one thing's for certain that I realized in this whole write-up. Holy shit, dude. You know, everybody, you couldn't swing a fucking dead cat without hitting a supposed alchemist. Like, everybody was an alchemist. You know? Yeah, I think it was the crypto of its day. <laughs> story in the news today you believe in ghosts and the paranormal now are they are they ufos or are they like some crazy experimental you know governmental i don't uh, know planes that they're building Police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome, everybody, to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. I'm fucking tired. <laughs> it is a little... Exa- it's been an exhausting week, dude, in general. So there's that. Yeah. Well, and it's 11 on a Saturday morning. Oh, I'm yeah. not usually that awake too. at this time. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, hey, you want to shoot for this time frame? And I'm like, oh, shit. He's probably still in Betty by. So. Yeah. I mean, I've been awake for a minute, but not awake awake. Yeah, no, no worries. No, like I said, we try to pigeonhole this in. Um, I know that uh, just work-wise has been busy for me, and, uh, you know, we've had, like, some heat here, so we've had, you know, shit outside. Yeah, nah, like I said, typical typical stuff that nobody really wants to hear. So, you know, there's that. But anyway, welcome, everybody, Strange Uncles. Uh, we actually, before we kick off here, I, <laughs> I actually asked Josh earlier, I was like, hey, do you think I can place, and this is fucking hokey, but again, it's one of those things where, you know, this is a podcast because, you know, you got a minute and a half to spare. You know, there's no worries. But uh, I've been closely following a, I guess, re I want to say reboot, remake. I don't know. Not even really that because I don't think there's movies about it. But um, about something that uh, Rob Zombie has been doing, which most of you probably know. But he had dropped the trailer for this movie uh, last Wednesday. And at as dumb as it is, like I said, you know, I'm big into like the horror monster old you know, Wolfman bullshit stuff. It's just fun, you know, fun old Hollywood. Um, and he took a jab at doing something uh, from the 60s. It was a show, uh, and you can probably guess what it is. But if you don't mind, Josh, I want to play that trailer for the listeners, and they can hate us for it, but I think it's fucking a blast. So sure. without further ado, here we go. Like the sound of that. The brain of a super genius transplanted into the body of a perfect physical specimen. <laughs> I want a man that makes my blood run cold. A man that every time he enters my crypt, it's like a stake through my dead black heart. I can whip you up a humpy down in the lamb. Oh no. Remember what happened last time? He was battered. I'm gonna go. 
Okay. I'm looking for a vision, a queen, true love. What exactly do you want? Is Herman Munster in there? Uh I knew the moment I laid eyes on you that you were special. I understand if you don't feel the same. I'm just a regular gal living a boring, normal life. If there's one thing I know, is that the rest of the world melted away as soon as you appeared in my life. It seems Miss Lily is truly in love. Oh, come on. You know and I know that we got to get rid of that bozo Herman Munster. (laughs) Anywho, (laughs) so there's that. Oh boy. Uh, anyway, I know. You know, I sent you guys a clip like months ago when they were starting to film it. And uh, yeah, I didn't get much response back. I don't, you know, I, admittedly, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, they, they took a jab at the Adams family. And uh, I always wonder why the Munsters weren't kind of on that table somehow, you know, through the whole, you know, decades and decades. And now it looks like uh, they gave it to them. So what's cool. I think maybe it's cool. Maybe it's bullshit because they're wrecking somebody else's country and leaving it. But they, they filmed it in Hungary outside of like two hours outside of Budapest, I think. But he built the whole set and he built the whole 1313 Mockingbird Lane with a house and the neighboring houses. So you're actually with streets and asphalt and everything. Like he did the whole thing and then just left it like it's sitting there. And I don't, I don't know if it's going to be like a tourist thing or it's just going to fall to shit. I, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about whether that's cool or whether that's not cool. I don't, I don't know. So. Yeah. I mean, just leaving it out there to, crumble into dust is kind of shitty but if he left it to the municipality that he built it in or whatever so they could do whatever they wanted with it that's cool kind of cool yeah you know and you know hollywood's been doing that forever they're still like out in the california desert old sets from like uh, old roman movies and caesar and all these shit that they just kind of left them and you can go you know tour to them and hike to them and I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where at one time it's it's kind of bullshit, but at the same time it's uh you know it's movie history in a weird weird way. So anyway, yeah. so we'll see. That drops in September. We'll go from there. So thank you, listeners, for bearing uh, bearing with us for that. Um, we actually have a write up here again. We've been kicking this around for a little bit, uh, and this I, I don't know if this we talked about it here and there, but I started kind of taking a dive into it. I just love like weird books and history especially ones that nobody can explain or nobody knew where they came from. And this is kind of along this write-up. So, um, yeah. So, if you do you have anything uh, before we jump into it on your side, man? No. Let's no? roll. Let's roll then. All right. So, uh, it's a 600-year-old mystery that continues to stump scholars, cryptographers, physicists, and computer scientists. A roughly 240-page medieval codex written in an indecipherable language, brimming with bizarre drawings of esoteric plants, naked women, and astrological symbols. Uh, It defies classification, much less comprehension, and yet over the years, a steady stream of researchers uh, have stepped up with new claims to actually crack the secrets of what's going on here. So why so many scholars and scientists driven to solve the puzzle? Eh, For many, it's an ultimate opportunity to prove their analytical skills in their given field. For others, it's a chance to test promising new digital technologies and artificial intelligence advances, which, you know, you can guess that they took a jab at that. And for some time, it's simply the thrill of the hunt for most people. No matter what way you approach a mysterious script, it's no doubt that it's truly unique and truly mesmerizing, to say the least, of just how 
or why it came to be in the first place. So join us as we discuss the one and only Voynich Manuscript. Open the gates. Reverend and distinguished sir, father in Christ. Wow. Salutation. (laughs) Right. Uh, This book bequeathed to me by an intimate friend, I destined for you, my very dear, I'm not going to be able to get through this, (laughs) Athanasius, as soon as it came into my possession, for I was convinced that it could be read by no one except yourself. The former owner of the book asked your opinion by letter copying and sending you a portion of the book from which he believed you would be able to read the remainder, but at that time refused to send the book itself. To its deciphering, he devoted unflagging toil, as is apparent from the attempts of his <laughs> from the attempts of his, which I send you here with. God fucking old damn. fucking language, man. Who spoke like that? Well, obviously I'm, they did, but God. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and he <laughs> relinquished hope only with his life. But his toil was in vain, for such sphinxes as these obey no one but their masters, Kircher. Except now this token, such as it is, and long overdue though it be, of my affection for you, and burst through its bars, if there are any, with your wanted success. Dr. Raphael, a tutor in the Bohemian language of Ferdinand III, then king of Bohemia, told me that said book belonged to Emperor Rudolph, and that he presented to the bearer who brought him the book 600 ducats. Okay. Uh, he believed the author was Roger Bacon, the Englishman. On this point, I suspend judgment. <laughs> it is your place to define for us and what view we should take thereon to whose favor and kindness I unreservedly commit myself and remain. Holy God. At the command of your reverence. Joannes Marcus Marchi of Cronland, Prague, 19th August, 1665. You know what's funny is I can sum up that letter very easily. Hey, man, here's a weird old book. I think you can probably appreciate it and try to figure this shit out. I think this guy owned it. Maybe this guy wrote it. Have fun. Maybe that should have been, you know, in present day. <laughs> I just love old, old oh, language. So it's crazy. Anyway. Yeah, it's just so florid. You're oh, just like, man. oh, get to the fucking point. Right, give right, me a headache. Right. Uh, well, anyway, folks, so that was a letter written by one Johannes Marcus Marchi, uh, born 1595, passed in 1667. Uh, he was a Bohemian doctor and scientist, also the rector of the University of Prague. Uh, but wait, there's more with this dude. Uh, he was also the physician to the Holy Roman Emperors Ferdinand III and Leopold I. Uh, but more importantly, as far as we're concerned, he was also one of the many owners of the Voynich Manuscript for a brief time. So, and again, this story, I want to just reiterate, goes down different pathways because nobody really 100% knows, and we mentioned that in this story. Uh, but this is as near, I think, as most common beliefs and, hey, it happened this way goes. So this is kind of what we plucked up. So anyway, um, the story goes that Dr. Marchi uh, came into possession of the book when the previous owner, Georges Baresh, died. George was a known alchemist and antique collector and was thought to be one of the first documented owners of the strange manuscript. But 
We're going to go back a bit further to track the hands off of this manuscript because honestly, just the, hey, went from this guy to this guy to this guy is more intriguing than the book itself in a way because it's just fucking crazy how things make their way around the world, you know. Um, and again, you know, like I said before, not 100% fact, just as a manuscript isn't 100% figured out. Um, but anyway, there's a rough timeline and we're going to follow that timeline and kind of move forward in history to the point that we had just discussed with the letter, um, how Dr. Marchi acquired it, and then rolling into the present day area. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to get into the book itself. Um, so let's start here. So Rudolph II of Habsburg. Again, everybody needs a title, right? All these important people back in the day. You're no one without a title. Yeah, evidently. So, well, he was born in Vienna in 1552. Uh, he got into art due to his uncle, King Philip II. And this started the thread of collecting weird shit in general. So this guy was always into just, you know, collecting whatever weird art, you know, he could, he could snatch up, really. Uh, he was crowned King of Bohemia in 1576, which gave him the wallet to collect things throughout his life, which, as one does, now you have the money to do whatever you want to do. So uh, how he stumbled on the manuscript isn't really proven, um, but Wilfred Voynich himself, which we're going to cover later because he's got a good theory. And f- fuck, the book's named after the guy, so we owe him at least a little cred there. Uh, he thinks that John D. was the one that sold it to Rudolph for 600 decades, um, equivalent to around. And again, I was doing some searching on this, you know, give or take 20, 30,000. Back in the day, in modern day times, it would be around about $100,000. So, hmm. damn, the guy wanted the book because I would think back in the day, 100000 it's a lot now, let alone back in the 1500s, right? So, yeah. So, guy wanted it. Yeah, that is uh, kind of what it is. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's the start of this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, fun fact, I'm sure you've heard us mention the name John D. in the past. Uh, maybe when we covered the life and times of Jack Parsons, who studied John Dee's work, um, Dee was a known astronomer, astrologer, and teacher. More importantly, he was mainly an occultist and alchemist, and at one time had the largest batshit crazy book collection in all of England. He was an advisor to Queen Elizabeth I, but left her services to wander the world and go on a quest for additional knowledge in the deeper realms of the occult and supernatural. Sadly, with all of his knowledge and research or knowledge searching and uh wanderlusting he returned to england couldn't get his old job back found his library had been vandalized and died in poverty in 1608 uh which i did not know um and that's a sad end to the story of someone that was a pretty illustrious character in history um yeah it's a yeah. bummer no it, it is and the story goes a little bit deeper again you know the guy you know, he's touring. We've talked about him before, and I want to say, I want to say maybe we mentioned Jack Parsons' episode, because I think Jack Parsons studied some of his writings, if I remember. That was the thing. But he, yeah, he came back to just everything's a disheveled, happy, so his books were either gone or vandalized or, or burnt, or it, it was just a big fucking mess. And then somebody took over for the queen. She loved him, but this other guy took over, and so he's like, nope, nope, you can't do that. So that's why he couldn't get his job back. And she just went down south from there. And, you know, and again, you know, maybe it could have been something bigger, more, but, you know, at least he took a stab at it, I suppose. Yeah, there's that. Um, So then we have a one, uh, Jacobus Horkiki D. Tepanek. 
Okay. Fuck, fucking nailed it there. Um, otherwise known as Sinopias, I want to say, uh, which is what we call him because I'm not going to say that name again. So this guy known as a Sinopias was Rudolph's personal physician and had Rudolph convinced uh, that Sinopias, the guy here, had cured him from a deadly ailment with a mixture of herbs and ointments. It's kind of unclear how this guy gained ownership of the Voynich manuscript from, uh, from Rudolph, uh, but when he died... It's certain that, you know, he did study the book when Rudolph actually passed uh, because his name was ever so gently etched in one of the first pages of the manuscript. So they did tests like mid-2000s, infrared tests, bunch of that stuff. And this is mm-hmm. where they pulled, it, pulled this name from, is that he, it was written. And as this book has traveled on, uh, we will mention that there was other, like, either owners or authors trying to decipher or researchers back in the day, whatever have you. A lot of them kind of jotted their name down there, which is only kind of lead you know we have through this chronological history so you know there, there's that um mm-hmm. anyway so that's how we know this dude and then if we're betting on this whole thing which you know like want how he actually got it or whatever have you uh i think it's probably because of this because rudolph so he died and after rudolph died his brother took over uh and his brother had absolutely no interest in fucking books alchemy any of that bullshit like he just did not care so we're assuming that what Sinopias did was just kind of claim what books he wanted um he's known in history to actually write a few and then that actually brings us to this guy called georgius Bershius or george Bersh. that catches up on where we started with the letter in the beginning so uh this guy basically letters written by dr marshy which josh covered um, but one thing's for certain that I realized in this whole write-up. Holy shit, dude. You know, everybody, you couldn't swing a fucking dead cat without hitting a supposed alchemist. Like, everybody was an alchemist. You know? Yeah, I think it was the crypto of its day. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Like, they had that on the end of, oh, physician, philosopher, alchemist. Uh, doctor, alchemist. Um, baseball player, alchemist. Like, it just, it was crazy. It goes yeah, on Yeah, everybody on. had a hobby of trying to turn base metals into gold, man. Uh, why not? I mean, shit, you know, you have nothing else to do, right? So anyway, so we just want to point that out. Uh, as far as the rumor that Roger Bacon was the one that wrote the book, we're kind of on the fence with this one. So Bacon was known for studies on nature. Uh, so, you know, that kind of fits into the realm of things. But it's a long shot for sure after you kind of read into it and whether it's actually, you know, doable uh, that he actually wrote it. Another plausible author uh, was noted to be Albertus Magnus. Uh, he was a German philosopher, scientist, and bishop. No alchemist, surprisingly. Go figure. Uh, hmm. But again, the jury is still out as far as who the author may be. And some theories that we stumbled on even throw Da Vinci as a fabricator. Yeah, why not? With our, but, well, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, all his drawings and sketch up on napkins and all that other bullshit. Of course, you know, maybe he's part of that too. Um, but honestly, we're not going to care about any of these because that's all hearsay. And that's half this mystery of this book is all hearsay, really, at that point. Um, Marshy's letter referenced that the book was passed on to Athenius Kircher, which you mentioned, and then for some twenty, almost 245 years, give or take as a crow flies, the book was lost, lost completely in history. Uh, theory suggests it was stored with the rest of Kircher's correspondence in the library of Caligio Romano and remained there until the troops of Victor Emmanuel II of Italy captured the city in 1870 and annexed the Papal States. Many books of the university's library were hastily transferred to the personal libraries of its faculty just before this whole thing happened. So it suggested that the Voynich manuscript was part of that. Um, fast forward 245 years later, the Society of Jesus was short of money, 
Go figure. Uh, and he decided to some, sell some of the holdings, and I'm using rabbit ears here. And nobody can see in the podcast, obviously, discreetly, I, I, because that was pinpointed in several different research papers, <laughs> uh, that they sold some of their stuff to get money to the Vatican Library. You know, so now you got the Vatican's grubby hands involved in this, right? Um, the sale took place in 1912, but not all of the manuscripts listed for sale ended up going to uh, the Vatican. Wilfred Voynich acquired 30 of these manuscripts, among them the infamous manuscript itself. He spent the next seven years attempting to interest scholars in deciphering the script while he worked to determine the origins of the manuscript itself. And, you know, of course, all this work, he died. 1930. Okay. Uh, It was inherited by his widow, Ethel. Of course, that's her name. Uh, Then she died in 1960 and left the manuscript to her close friend, Ann Nill. And Nell actually was a gal that uh, in the last part of Ethel's life lived with her, basically. Kind of took care of her and stuff. So she had no kids. She had no very few relatives that she even knew. Um, of course, she outlived Voynich by, you know, three decades, you know, because he passed early. Um, so it was just she had nothing else, nowhere else to give this book to. So she gave it to her yeah. friend Anne, right? Um, 19- yeah. I mean, if you don't know, it's either Anne or the cat. You know, who's going to take better care of the book, I suppose. Uh, in 1961, Nell sold the book to antique book dealer Hans P. Krauss for $24,500. Noted the $500 in there. I thought that was, uh, thought that was funny. Krauss had a plan to appraise the book and sell it for upwards of $160,000, but was unable to find a buyer and eventually donated the manuscript to Yale University in 1969, where it remains overseen by Yale's by Nikki Rare Book and Manuscript Library, which I took a peruse to their website just to see kind of what else they had. Damn, man, it's kind of impressive. I got to say, good on Yale. Yeah. Oh. Um, let me see. So some notes on Wilfred Voynich. want to get into this because after all, you know, the book's named after this dude. Um, Wilfred Voynich, born Michael Habdeck, was, fuck, nailed it, in 1865, uh, was a Polish revolutionary, antiquarian, and bibliophile. Voynich operated one of the largest rare book businesses in the world, which is how we stumbled on the Voynich. Uh, but aside from that, to be honest with you guys, uh, he really isn't a character that stands out in history. Just kind of a lucky guy that was in the right place at the right time. Um, and, you know, it, it just things fall into place, I guess, for this dude. And this is now he's in history. Um, here's an actual quote uh, from Voynich himself. The fact that this was a 13th century manuscript in cipher convinced me that it must be a work of exceptional importance. And to my knowledge, the existence of a manuscript of such an early date written entirely in cipher was unknown, Voynich said. Two problems presented themselves. The text must be unraveled and the history of the manuscript must be traced. So uh, let's get into the book itself. Um, The Voynich manuscript or Codex as it's otherwise known, measures 8.9 by 6.3 inches and contains 102 heavily illustrated parchment folios uh, and pages, or sorry, and 234 pages. Described as a magical or scientific text, nearly every page contains botanical, figurative, and scientific drawings of a provincial but lively character, uh, drawn in ink with vibrant washes in various shades of green, brown, yellow, blue, and red. The manuscript is divided into six sections based on the illustrations, botany, astronomy, and astrology, biology, cosmology, pharmaceutical, and a section of continuous text with decorations, marking the beginning of uh, short entries. Um, uh, sounds like they think these are recipes. 
So probably like yeah, nears we could figure reason. maybe yeah. yeah, that's kind of what they're thinking, you know. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the book begins with an herbal section featuring vibrant drawings of plants, but nobody is large, or but nobody is quite sure what sort of plants they're supposed to be. Uh, this is the largest section, consisting of 113 pages. Uh, Jesus, or sorry, 113 large, detailed, colorful drawings of plants. Uh, and herbs with text carefully written around the imagery. Uh, then comes the astrological section, which includes fold-out drawings of celestial char- charts that do not seem to match up with any known calendar. Uh, the astrological wheels are dotted with little drawings of nude women. Hell yeah. And in the subsequent biological section, uh, the nude drawings go pretty bonkers. Uh, illustrations depict, depict naked women bathing in green liquid. Uh, naked women being propelled by jets of water. <laughs> naked women, uh, naked, 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 <laughs> naked. Yeah, uh, s- supporting rainbows with their hands. I don't know. Uh, some scholars believe that one illustration shows naked women hanging out in a pair of ovaries. You know, like you do. It's not uh, weird the at fourth. All. <laughs> I always think it's funny. Like I, I did some some YouTube and to refresh my memory about this thing, and like every video I watched they like just went nuts about all the naked ladies and they all showed like the same four pictures. Yeah. yeah, yeah and exactly. I was like, that's not a lot. You, you guys might be making them out and out of a molehill here. Right. And let's, let's classify or describe the naked ladies. I don't, I, I'm not going to say it wasn't Van Gogh that painted this book. I mean, let's no, just it say looks that. like uh, it was drawn by like, a middle schooler, yeah. maybe. Yeah, somebody. Yeah, like a twelve-year-old with a little imagination wants to draw his, his first boobies. Like that's what the pictures really look. Yeah, like. Yeah, they're honestly. not like lurid or sexy or no, like no. works of high art either. No, no, not by not not by a long shot. Yeah. No. Um. Anyway, uh, the fourth section, uh, cosmology, is composed of drawings of nine medallions filled with stars and other shapes. The pharmaceutical section returns again to the plants and herbs and depicts what are thought to be medicinal plants. This, uh, this section differs from the botany section in that many pages include drawings of elaborate jars or bottles. And in some cases, many types of herbs appear on a single page. Hmm. And finally, uh, there's the pharmaceutical, sorry, pharmacological section, which oh, includes fancy. additional drawings of plants, uh, followed by pages of writings writing in the manuscripts mysterious language, which has been dubbed Voynichese. Um, I find that hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. Um, In 2009 tests showed that the parchment likely dates to sometime between 1404 and 1438. If this is true, then it rules out several individuals who had been named as the authors of the manuscript. Roger Bacon, the English scientist, died in 1292, so the parchment hadn't even been parched yeah, right. before he died. <laughs> right. um, and da Vinci was only born in 1452, um, which, you know, the one thing about the carbon dating of the parchment is that's when the parchment was made. That's not necessarily when anything was written on it. Right, right. You know? Yep, yep, 100%. Um, 
So, I mean, I guess that doesn't rule Da Vinci out other than like if he made it when he was like 10. Well, and that it goes before he learned to, how to draw, you know, <laughs> exactly. And I thought it crossed my mind a little bit. I thought, oh, you know, we're talking about like a 12 year old just started puberty and he's drawing, you know, naked ladies and such. Maybe, you know, Da Vinci's in that, but I don't know. You know, I think they just kind of threw that name in there because they just have nothing really because better to you do. do. Yeah. As one does for sure. So yeah, it's like how George Soros gets brought into every conspiracy theory these days. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. I laugh every time I see something like that. Um, we're going to take a quick break, everybody, and then we're going to come back with a couple of little tidbits uh, and then basically the tail end of this whole thing of where it stands now because it still is kind of interesting. And then we'll kind of bat around a little bit about the book itself, the language, um, you know, and again, you know, the, the jury's out on exactly what it is. But uh, stand by. We'll be right back. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality? Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, and we're back. Um, quick fun fact I want to throw out here, and then I kind of want to banter back and forth about the book itself, I guess, writings, illustrations a, a, a bit, and then we can go into more here. So I mentioned earlier that 1969, it basically was donated to Yale's uh, Beinecke Library, rare book and manuscript library. Uh, they now hold that whole thing, and it's been kind of locked up in the safety vault there. But, however, technology has allowed them, look at this, so if you actually want to take a crack at looking at this book, which I did, I had, you know, 45 minutes to kill, uh, you can find a complete digital copy available online. But I will tell you that, <laughs> number one, it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's boring, it's very interesting when you look at, like the illustrations, I guess, get me more than anything, because again, there's no rhyme or reason, uh, there's a lot of illustrations that where there's language language went written behind the illustrations uh, or around the illustrations. And, and again, you know, people have broken it down to, okay, we, we got different sections here. We got six sections, astrological, pharmaceutical, yada, yada, but it's still just how it's laid out is just odd. It almost looks like it. Well, and we'll get into it a bit, but it almost looks like it shouldn't make sense. If that makes sense, yeah. it's just, it is what it is. But you can actually find this, uh, but you can go online, and we'll put these in the show notes too, in the show notes. But you can look it up at uh, collections.library.yale, uh, Y-A-L-E dot E-D-U slash catalog slash two zero zero two zero four six. Again, I'll put that in the show notes for you. Um, and you can link to it, and you can just have fun on a fucking Sunday if you're not doing anything, perusing a naked lady standing in uteruses or whatever they are supposed to be. But, you know. There's that. But I wanted to get your uh, thoughts a little bit before we go into some of the other researchers there, stuff like that, Uh, because you had watched some things on, I guess, a language, the structure of the book, which. Yeah. 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 Um, So I think you're like just reading ahead a little bit here. I think you're the next section is going to talk about this, too. But like Mm -hmm. uh, one of the videos I was watching, let me find it in my notes. Um, was spent, it was like, most of them were like 10, 15 minutes. This one was like 30 or 45. Like it was like an actual, like kind of in-depth Some, video took time. Yeah, yeah. trying to see if, uh, if I wrote down, yeah, it was from the channel, uh, 
Hochelaga, I guess. Mm, Um, Some dude with a pleasant English accent narrated it. Um, But uh, the main thing that I thought was uh, pretty interesting was um, they attributed the two sections dedicated to stars uh, and the star charts not matching anything um, that, that we look that any, any calendars or any known constellations and stuff yeah Um, they theorized that uh maybe it was a stranded aliens journal what um which reminded me of that movie starman with uh jeff bridges from the 80s oh my god that's so i've been so long since i heard that name pop up i actually like watched it last weekend just to really for some reason it came up in conversation i was like i want to watch that and it is so much fucking weirder than i remember it's a little odd for sure (laughs) But it was really good. Uh, anyway, um, so the closest match to the language on the star charts is Akatan, uh, which was spoken in the south of France. So it, there is it some parallels with some like real and known languages, right? Right, right. Um, and then uh, there are other medieval books about washing and bathing. So all the naked ladies in the green liquid. Um, so this might have been something like a health manual basically like a hygiene for women. Type yeah. Thing. Like a, Hey, yeah. remember to take your bath every two Sundays or whatever, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, the coding is where it gets really interesting. Um, so they, it's made of tall letters, which are called gallows letters because, uh, people thought it was a fitting reference because they kind of look like when oh, you draw a thing for yeah, hangman, yeah. I guess. Okay. Yeah. I um, see and the writing leads from left to right. Uh, the alphabet has 22 letters, uh, but other symbols pop in here and there. Um, so basically, they spent a lot of time talking about language fingerprints, which I thought was pretty cool. Hmm. Um, uh, like double letters and, and things like that, you know. Uh, and and I, I don't think I jotted down the examples they gave of, of like English, but it was like double letters, repeated patterns that kind of stuff yeah yeah well and that's why i was gonna say like it 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 follows a pattern now what that pattern may be is you know the jury's out on that that that's a whole thing you know yeah yeah so what they were saying is um it's definitely a language but like they still don't know where um and uh they said it could be two languages and may uh correspond to two different authors because the handwriting seems to be a little bit different um oh interesting in a couple different sections okay um, I mean, I don't, that's kind of neither here nor there, um, right, but right. yeah, it's definitely a language um, and it, it's super predictable and mechanical um, using uh, Q followed by U as a language fingerprints for English. Voynich has way more patterns than that, uh, than English, in fact, um, huh. more huh. than most languages. Um, so keyword searches is another method they used, uh, searches indicate that it's definitely a language as well because like repeated words again, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't help with the translation cause we don't know what any of them are. Right. Um, and, uh, so it doesn't really look like any language that we, uh, know of. Um, there are all sorts of theories of it being something like Ukrainian or Turkish or Aztec, um, and the plants were from Mexico, which would be really interesting. Um, and that would knowing that, and, and number one, you know, where the book was originally supposedly purchased or sold, it got, if that was the case, it came from that region to get over to the region that it was 
it where it showed up in history. I mean, that's quite a, <laughs> that's quite a travel in its own. Right. You know, it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, and then they had another theory that they mentioned where they thought it might be a long forgotten language. Um, like they mentioned one like called Rongo Rongo, which used to be, uh, which is what they, everything in on Easter Island was written in Oh, that no one like speaks anymore. You like know, the, the Rapanui's or was that the truth? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like a dead language, but there's no evidence of European Voynich speakers. Um, so like that kind of, kind of sinks that, that one. Too. Yeah. Um, and then another theory is that it was a hoax. Uh, yep. Yeah. We're going to cover some of that. Yeah. Cause there are like no mistakes. They didn't cross out any words. And like when you're mm-hmm. writing by hand, you're going to fuck up. Maybe they just had really good whiteout. I don't know. Well, and, um, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, we'll talk about the hoax thing a little bit, but boy, I'll tell you, I don't know. I, I'm out on the hoax thing because, man, you got to be pretty fucking dedicated if this is a hoax. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying. So, yeah, um, I think it's just they have to mention that because there is, you know, there's no telltale signs of it. Like, while there are all these telltale signs of it being a real language, there are no telltale signs of anyone fucking up while they were writing stuff down, which right. is right. Yeah. Um, so that, but yeah, expensive to produce uh, and take forever to make up a functional language for a prank. That, that so. you hope somebody in history is going to go, man, I hope somebody gets this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, God. Yeah. Yeah. I and then know. the last theory that that video touched on, which I thought was like crazy interesting um, was that it might be a constructed language uh, like Esperanto. Um, hmm. So like Esperanto is the most commonly used constructed language. It's an amalgamation of uh, many European languages created around uh, created in the 1800s by a, a dude named Zammerhoff hmm. uh, or something like that. Um, anyway, it's the most widely used artificial language with about 100,000 speakers. Oh, my God. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they talk about like uh, Tolkien making up Elvish and Roddenberry's like Klingon and stuff. But like most of those are based off like actual languages like uh, Tolkien's Elvish is based off finish for oh, example i was gonna say i thought that was the case you know i'm not yeah. sure what uh, ron Berry was basing his stuff off of there's klingon books out there that you can oh yeah like it's a translate. it's a an actual functional language like yeah. people actually speak it it's crazy um so side story real quick i knew a guy that was uh what was his i can't say his last name I, joe was his first name he was a weirdest dude he carried like a staff with him when we dropped him off at the at his house and his house was like a half mile down this dirt road he had his like he you see him pick up the staff and what like he was just the weirdest guy but he i was sitting next to him in gym one day and the dude had his own language like he had notebooks and notebooks full of his own he was writing his own language and he would like mumble in his own language he would i i don't Joe, if you're out there, um, write us at strangejungles at gmail.com. Let us know how, <laughs> how you turned out because I was not sure after, uh, you know, running into Yeah, that could times. go uh, several different ways. Yeah, not absolutely. all of them good. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, man. Um, but, like, the, the main reason I like the uh, artificial language theory, too, is, like, uh, I guess dating back to the 12th century, at least, um, basically a lot of philosophers – your Roger Bacon types, your John mm-hmm, D types mm-hmm, yeah. were uh, trying to create universal languages, uh, kind of like basic in Star Wars. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. And so uh, one theory is this was an attempt at that, right. at like, you know, maybe, maybe that's why it like, it's an, 
maybe that's why they created a, a complex artificial language for this manuscript was because mm-hmm. they were taking a crack at like, oh, well, like if everyone can learn this, you know, basically kind of like Latin. You right, know? right. Well, and, and again, you know, we covered earlier that, you know, we're kind of on the fence with the whole, you know, Roger Bacon being behind it. But that kind of fits another little piece in that puzzle. I mean, if that's what he was really working on, uh, you know, I mean. That, that seems to fall into crux a little bit differently. So, huh. no, yeah. Well, and I mean, not necessarily him, but like that type of dude. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and like we said, there's tons, evidently, everybody was a philosopher or an alchemist. So, you know, they're going to write their shit down. You know, yeah, because you either had money and could pursue these lofty goals or you were right. working in the fields for your fucking landlord. Ex- exactly. Well, <laughs> like, and, the, and here's the thing too. If you are your supposed alchemist or scientist or whatever have you, and you're, this is a new field, you're trying new thing, you know, you're going to be jotting down notes somewhere. I, you know, I would think so maybe, you know, that's something to correlate with it too. I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, that's all intro. That's good theories. I, I said, well, and that's why I want to give you a little platform because um that we have some other ones that we want to cover kind of, I guess, the code breakers throughout the years. Uh, and you had mentioned some things that uh, I did grab on my side and, and we'll kind of go through there. And again, there's been hundreds, if not thousands that we don't even know of, of people, you know, whether they were the previous owners of the book that had it for however many years and they tried to decipher it and do their thing. And then they got frustrated and it gave it away or sold it or went here went there and and that's just back in them times now we're talking present researchers and and we're going to cover this a little bit but they even got ai involved and and other things so um it's just fascinating that it still continues and i will say because i don't want to really forget this note either um (laughs) i can't tell you how many different websites and videos that uh, you know, Voynich manuscript solved, Voynich discovered, oh, da 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 da. Like everybody had, and it was from like, you know, 2017, 19, 20, 2009. Yeah. And then you look at, you know, you fast forward two years and like, oh, nope, that didn't work. I think some people got close to it. And we're going to cover a little bit of that here. Um, so we talked about professional code breakers, scholars, various dis- disciplines and stuff like that, that they've been trying to solve this whole mystery of the Voynich manuscript, obviously. Um, and then you cover on some of these. So some suspected that Hebrew was one of the languages behind the script, uh, including the authors of a computer algorithm-based study published in 2016, although experts questioned the methodology, uh, the methodology used and no reliable translation really was produced. Um, others have claimed the manuscript to be forgery, which we covered. Uh, some assume it to be a work of mystics, magicians, witches, or hoaxers, which, again, alchemy, all that other stuff, I, I'm, that's not too far off the table, I, I don't think, personally, you know, if that's that's a thing. Because there were a couple pictures I saw that was like, it looked like a, a, a broom with a root system, with these writings, with flasks. I mean, you know, you could... You could look at it to maybe it's a, but like you said, maybe it's just a medicinal type thing and that's what they were trying to do. Hey, take this to wash your ass or, or whatever they wanted in the book. You yeah. Know? Like nothing to do with magic or witches. Milk thistles, or, good for your liver. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's language has been variously said to come from a Latin, Sino Tibetan, Arabic, and all the above mentioned, well, Hebrew, we mentioned that too. And then you mentioned some things. Uh, Turkey was one of them as well, Turkish. Uh, however, just like the previous owners in history that tried to translate it, the research really continues. Uh, there have been some ground made in regards to the deciphering. So I pulled a couple ones that, in my opinion, are the most plausible that happened in history. Uh, in 2018, the Arctic family, a father and son's team of Turkish researchers, they call themselves the Atatim Alberta. Uh, they claim to have deciphered and translated over 30% of the manuscript. 
Father Amit Artik, an electrical engineer by trade and scholar of Turkish language, claims a Voynich script is a kind of old Turkic, uh, quote, written in a poetic style. So meaning the author spelled out the words that he or she, uh, how they heard them, um, which you know, would explain maybe that little piece of the puzzle, maybe. Yeah. Um, Amat noticed that the words often began with the same characters, then had different endings, a pattern that corresponds with the linguistic structure of Turkish, which we kind of discussed a little bit about watching what that pattern looks like. Uh, the language of the Voynich has a, a rhythmic structure, a formal poetic regularity. However, just like anything else, other researchers have debunked this completely. So, you know, again, but mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty, the work he's put into and how they described what the patterns look like and it fit into the Turkish language a bit, um, you know, and again, you're, you know, that's in that region. So, you know, possibly type thing. Um, yeah. Another researcher. So I want to mention this guy, a German Egyptologist, Rainier Hennig. Uh, believes he has cracked the code translating the work and found the manuscript's language to be based on Hebrew. And this is a quote from Hennig directly. Uh, Countless decipherment attempts were made. He writes, uh, he wrote that in an article in German explaining his methodology. Uh, Quote, a lot of languages were proposed, such as Latin, uh, Jech, and amongst others, Nautol, which is spoken or was spoken by the Aztecs, uh, just to name a few. So the word structure leaves only one possible exclamation in his uh, in his theory. He says the manuscript was not composed in an Indo-European language. So ah, that rules out all these other languages up above that we just mentioned, according to Hannock. You know, yeah, pretty much. Again, you know, back back and forth with all these different things and who says what and and what it is. But yeah, and and I think that you're going to see that a lot because like it's not it doesn't tend to be like scientists who are experts in say linguistics or something that are right. trying to decipher this. It's like hobbyists. Yeah. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Like, so, so they're always going to have theories that are probably pretty easily debunked because they're like lay, lay people in the field. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Well, and here's something real quick before you, you get on your side. Um, I, I didn't put it in the write-up, but I did find a couple quotes from researchers. It is funny because in the whole world of the people who might try to decipher the Voynich thing, um, basically these researchers are like, hey, don't do that because if you do that, that's really going to fuck up your career because it's really easy to make mistakes and then you got your name attached to it and then, you know, fast forward, come to find out that you screwed that up. There's a lot of researchers that really that's, they won't touch us with a 10-foot pole just yeah. for that reason. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, like, from an academic perspective, that makes sense, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe maybe take a crack at it when you're about to retire or something, but even then, you know, right. right. That, and like, I think a lot of academic people would find this like a frivolous pursuit. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, the same reason that not a lot of them get into like UFOs or right. Or ghosts. You're not making any groundwork for future things. Right. I mean, you know, you're going back and you're trying to discover this weird mystery. It's like where, you know, where was, where did the Titanic actually land on the bottom of the ocean? You know, whatever, you know, there's going to be a group of people trying to do that, but you're not moving forward as a researcher scientist towards whatever you're giving humanity, I guess, you know? So, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, so anyway, from his analysis, Hannig concluded that the text must be a Semitic language uh, and given the European imagery in the book's illustrations be narrowed to uh, the options of Arabic, Aramaic, 
or Hebrew languages spoken by European scholars of the Middle Ages. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, one guy says, no way, it's an Indo-European language. Another guy says, no way, it's not. Right, <laughs> right exactly. So take your pick, I guess. Um, uh, let's see. After identifying a connection between certain Voynich characters in Hebrew, he managed to translate the first words and then full sentences. Uh, this was as recent as 2020. So we'll see if Hannig has truly stumbled on the code hidden in the Voynich manuscript or not. Um, and to add, there are a lot of researchers that simply consider it a joke, like we were just talking right, about medieval right. gibberish that means nothing. And um, I mean, that kind of makes sense too, because like most people didn't know how to read yeah, around well, the time this was written, exactly, you know, so exactly. it might've just been yeah. like education knowledge, pictures was, of what yeah. to do with what they'll assume are instructions that they can't read anyway. So who cares? <laughs> it's a you know? winner, winner, <laughs> so. like a template, like it's like right. a PowerPoint template, you know? Yeah. Yeah. God. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah. Uh, but if this is the case, whoever wrote it was sure dedicated to the joke, um, with how long it would have taken to put the Voynich manuscript together. I mean, and, I and make imagine, a language dude. that, is functional, you yeah, know, yeah. and not just like random gibberish, you know, at right. least, at least the words are functional, you know right, what I mean? Right. And repeat yep. it. So, yep. um, even NASA got involved in trying to decipher this thing, uh, even with all the debunking and arguing where it came from and why most researchers do agree on the fact that it seems to be some kind of a woman's medicine guide, mm-hmm. uh, with the depiction of the naked gals frolicking throughout the pages. Uh, but even, This idea divides some critics. Uh, We found a quote from one researcher that uh, somewhat sums up the whole uh, Voynich translation thing. Uh, Physicist Andrea Schinner uh, recounted a rumor that the Voynich manuscript can be pure poison for a scholarly career because when studying the manuscript, there's always an easy option to make a ridiculous mistake like you just mentioned. Like we were covering. Yeah. Like I said, I, you know, it's one of those things where nobody wants to deal with this whatsoever, you know, and we, we talk about the naked yeah, again. Yeah. They're in, it's not all over the book. Like it's, I would venture to think after kind of perusing it, listening to the researchers, doing the research on it, I, I absolutely would say, yeah, it's probably a women's health guide of some sort. You know, there's no men in the book that I can see. It's all women for the most part. Um, so, you know, but again, like you said, if you can't, if you can't read, what good what is that really going to do? Yeah. You know, there's, there's that. So not to say that the Voynich manuscript, you know, stands all by itself as the only written text that can't be decoded because we wanted to make sure that, you know, this isn't like the only thing. There's thousands of books out there like this and some that are pretty popular in history. Um, so there's other codexes. Uh, the Ripley Scroll is a good example of a codex that is thought to be a recipe for making the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, again, back to alchemy. But it's not translated in its entirety at all, and so they're still working on that. Um, there's another one called the Rohonk Codex. Uh, it's a 448-page book that is illustrations covering biblical themes, it seems, but again, in unreadable text, written using around 150 different symbols. So, you know, Voynich doesn't stand on its own. There's other weird shit out there that people are trying to work on and look at, and it's just what it is. Um, like Voynich, you know, there's speculation over what language any uh, these books have, um, ranging from old Hungarian to Sanskrit, and even especially invented one, which you know we discussed, as well as debate over the book's origin and the date of the creation. So, again, you know, tons of stuff out there. If you guys are into old weird books, it's not just this one on its own. 
But with fingers crossed, we will say that one of these days, the Voynich manuscript may be deciphered. Uh, but until then, you know, it's definitely a fun mystery to look into. Uh, it's worth it just to look online. Again, it's fun. You know, just check it out and see what you think. Uh, and maybe you can decipher it. You know, I'd be surprised. Um, yeah. It is. You know, but you never know. I mean, it could be instructions on some stupid shit. You know, how to make potatoes, how to, you know, boil women in a pot. I, I don't know. God only knows. I mean, it, the whole thing's out. But we'll see. You know, like I said, this is thing. I've been known about this. I'm saying knew about Voynich for I want to say a good 10, 15 years when I stumbled on the whole story of it. And, you know, other than certain researchers claiming they found the the golden sword and, hey, this is what it says, I, you know, again, it's all been debunked. Um, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Well, and it's funny that it, it this makes its way into everything. I mean, like, yeah. there's at yeah. least one Ancient Aliens episode where they that's devoted pretty much exclusively to this manuscript. That, that ties it in, yeah. And I yeah, stumbled but on I those mean, too, you know. That show's been on the air for so many years there stretching more than ever to they're, they're going to <laughs> make new episodes. You I realize that just give it up. You but. realize that Betty Crocker cookbook, it is a translation for an alien landing zone in Arizona. Like, yeah, they're going to grab anything and make fucking yeah. something of it. It's yeah. Really, it doesn't matter. So anyway, folks, but yeah, that's a voyage. You know, like I said, and again, we'll put the, uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, you know, nothing else. that's interesting just to, Hey, this is fucking weird, you know? And what's cool in the book is that there's, and, and this is another thing I think that struck me odd when you describe the book itself and the folios in there. And I think we said, what, there's like 113 different folios, illustrations. Mm-hmm. Some of them fold out. And so they're not just, it's not like a book you thumb through. They fold. <laughs> like, it's just the weirdest put together thing that I, I, I don't know. It's just odd. It's odd. You know? It's like a medieval pop-up book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, before pop-ups were a thing. So anyway, folks. But yeah, that's a Voynich manuscript. Um, very interesting. Again, you know, if you guys have any uh, self- things to say about it, uh, you know, again, like Josh said, Ancient Aliens has talked about it. There's been things like gets, you know, gets attached to things. Uh, we didn't cover that because, I, you know, personally, I think that's all bullshit. You know, you're going to find something out of nothing, especially if you know if you don't understand what the fuck it's about anyway, you know, pretty easy to attach something if you don't understand what it is. So there's that. But if you do have something that, you know, maybe you stumble on or another story, different owners, whatever have you, feel free, write us at strangejunglesgmail.com. Let us know. You know, we can chat back and forth about it. Uh, You can call us also at 801-252-69. Hey, now there's a family program. (laughs) 45. Yeah. After we talk about naked ladies and boobies. So (laughs) Um, where are we at on socials, man? Oh, the same place as we always are. Uh, We are at Strange Uncles Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We're at Strange Uncles on Twitter. Uh, We'll not make a TikTok. Um, we have a YouTube channel, uh, that we've been batting around some ideas for. So, uh, you might want to start checking in on that in, uh, the next few weeks. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think that's everything. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I do want to do a quick shout out to Harvey. Uh, you know who you are. He actually is a listener and, uh, he had some ideas about YouTube and some other things and stories and different topics. And, uh, it was just really cool to kind of sit down and shoot the shit with them and, and talk to somebody that's, that's, I guess kind of, I hate to say it, but we got a few fans. Uh, he really likes what we do and, you know, say hi to Josh and, uh, yeah. So, you know, thanks Harvey. Appreciate the time uh, yeah. we spent together. And yeah, I think we're going to go ahead and close the gates on this one. Uh, go ahead and go back to sleep, man, if you need to. Otherwise, I got a day with the in-laws. So, you know, well, I'm going to go take care of some business and then uh, 
I'm going to go watch Thor Love and Thunder at uh, Bruby's oh, Cinema Pub. Oh, that's right. I was going to talk to you about that. Uh, let me know what you think, man. Let me know what you I'm think. Sure I'm not going to say anything, but let me know what you think. We saw it last weekend, and it was, uh, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It's a fun, it's a fun watch for sure. So, yeah, I'm but, sure I'll, I'll have a good time. Yep. Yep. So, all right. Well, enjoy that. Say hi to Jake. I assume maybe you'll go with him. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody, that is Voynich Manuscript. We'll have more for you. And we have some guests lined up and we'll keep going as always. Um, hope you guys are doing good. Stay safe. Close gates.